created live on Fireside. Good afternoon, everybody. It is noon on Wednesday, and this is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Uh, welcome. And some of the uh, issues we're, we're following this week in the world of U.S. higher education out of California, the University of California at Berkeley declines a group's offer to admit 1,000 more students after they were ordered to freeze their enrollment. Um, a group of residents that successfully challenged the University of California, Berkeley, to limit its undergraduate enrollment offered to allow 1,000 additional students in the upcoming academic year. But the university declined, saying the enrollment decisions are not up to a small group of litigants. Uh, the university has decided to potentially enroll up to 1,000 students in the university uh, through an online option. Uh, the court ruling that came out last week uh, from the Supreme Court uh, to freeze next fall's enrollment at a 2020 to 2021 levels meaned, meant that the prestigious public university had to accept about 3,000 fewer students than planned. This will be an important uh, story. Please keep an eye on that. Um, from the Chronicle of Higher Education, appeals court revives COVID uh, lawsuits. Two separate lawsuits against American University and George Washington University have new life after an appeals court reviewed cases that allege both institutions violated contractual obligations to students when they shifted to online instruction in early 2020 at the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the lawsuits against American and GW are just two among dozens of similar lawsuits filed by students and families since 2020, which have had various outcomes in courts across the United States. We should also keep an eye on that. And then finally, uh, from Inside Higher Education, it's actually uh, not a news story. It is actually frames us really well for today's conversation. There's an excellent um, reflection piece in here called Every Woman Deserves Financial Education, with a college education being the first large financial investment for many students, institutions should be responsible for helping students develop financial literacy skills. I will include a link to this uh, in uh, this week's Substack, uh, which will allow for us to review this uh, content of today's show, as well as uh, some of the other issues coming up. I want to remind folks that this Friday, March 11th, we are going to have a special edition of uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe at 12 noon. We will be joined by members of the communities at Northeastern University, Champlain College in Vermont, and University of Maine uh, for a broad discussion on how we're serving uh, members of our communities who are Ukrainian and Russian. Uh, and so we will learn more about that on Friday. So I would love you all to be here. Uh, if you are new to Fireside, please remember that the bottom left-hand corner of your phone is basically your control panel. There is a dot, a black dot. We call that a hamburger. I didn't come up with the name. Some techie did about a thousand years ago in the tech world, <laughs> um, but it is called a hamburger. If you click on that hamburger and you can see broadcast to the world, you can hit that button right now and you can share that to your Twitter, your LinkedIn, and to any other uh, social media platform that you uh, might have. Uh, and so please, you can do that. And that's great. And it gets the word out about the show. If you would like to participate in today's show, you can also uh, hit the microphone at the bottom of your screen, and that will show that you would like to be here. So thank you all for being here. Thank you all for being part of the show. I'll remind you about the aspects of that uh, as we go through about how you can fully participate in today's show. So today we are talking about this financial literacy, what I'm calling the overlooked competency. Uh, college is often the first time in a person's life when money management skills are needed, but most young adults do not receive financial literacy education and are left to their own devices to make financial decisions. Many overspend, take on too much debt, and don't think about planning for the future. While, this is no, while there is no shortage of online personal finance content, many young adults are not aware of their uh, knowledge gaps, or nor are they motivated to learn independently. 
The Babson Financial Literacy Project is a not-for-profit program that prepares young adults to manage their financial future. Uh, it's based at a Babson College in Wellesley, Massachusetts. And on today's show, we are joined by uh, the program director, Robin Kahn, and Babson College faculty member, Jennifer Bethel. So welcome you both. I'm going to give you a quick intro. Uh, Robin uh, is, the project, is the program director for Babson Financial Literacy Project. She started her career on Wall Street in the 1980s. Do you, I, I hope you don't ha still have a lot of those like big... Uh, blazers with the oversized. Um, yeah. I got rid of those a few years ago. You got you rid of those pads? with the, it's the shoulder pads. That was the word I was looking for. I'm having a moment. Um, and uh, after going to Columbia Business School, she worked at Fidelity Investments in a variety of roles related to mutual fund investing and diversification. Most recently, she was executive director for a startup K-12 financial literacy nonprofit. Welcome, Robin. Thank you for being Thank here. You. And we have Jennifer Bethel, one of the co-founders of the Babson Financial Literacy Project and the faculty director of the project, is a finance professor who has been on Babson's faculty for 27 years. So you and I overlapped at one point, <laughs> Jennifer, uh, when I worked at Babson, and we can talk, we can talk turkey later. Um, she was the chief economist for the Division of Corporation Finance at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and consulted to the Division of Economic and Risk. She was also on the faculty at New York University and a postdoc at Harvard Business School. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right. Well, I want to talk. Uh, this is great. This is a super important pro pop, uh, topic. When I got connected with Robin, I was thrilled because this is really a situation where we, we talk a lot about college affordability, but we don't talk about some of the biggest issues, which is students don't know how to manage their money. Um, and then they become adults who don't know how to manage their money. And this is all wrapped up. So uh, I want to start with a framing of what brought you to this work, uh, both of you, and why it's important to you personally and professionally. So uh, either of you can start. I, I tell you what, maybe, maybe I'll start and then Robin can talk at, at, after me. Um, so for me, the, the path was both professional and personal. If I go back five or six years, um, several things were happening in the world and my life. And it really made me want to do something. So um, several important studies had been done and the media picked up the results of those studies. And these studies focused on um, income and wealth disparity, mm. the income gap, the wealth gap. And the numbers were shocking. Nearly half of Americans couldn't cover an unexpected $400 expense out of their bank account. Very few people were saving enough to have a financially secure retirement. And so that was sort of fact one. Um, at the same time, as a country, we were becoming immersed in a, in a conversation. Mm -hmm. And many people were frustrated and they were angry and they wanted change. And I perceived some of that discontent or unhappiness to be financial in nature. The yep. people had been promised, I'm going to put that in air quotes, the American dream, um, where the dream was if you worked hard, you would be more prosperous than previous generations. You would have enough in income and wealth to live the life you want. And that just clearly wasn't happening for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then the, the third thing was there was an imbalance with power and influence. And if you looked anecdotally, it seemed to be very much linked to wealth. Mm. And I think that was really frustrating for a lot of people. So I kind of backed away from the situation and said, is there anything I can do as a finance professor at Babson College to try to help this situation? I talked to friends, I talked to colleagues, and ended up connecting with a, a dear friend and close colleague, uh, Professor Kathy Havert from Babson. Mm -hmm. And what we decided to do is, you know, I have, I have limited talents, but I think one of my talents is educating young adults about finance. And so, and Kathy's in the similar situation. She may have more talents. Um, but I think the idea was if we could try to narrow the wealth gap 
So there's mm-hmm. the income gap, but that's about getting employed and right. where you get employed. Right. Um, but then there's how do you take those resources and build them? And so that's what we really wanted to, to focus on. But we realized we had to start with the basics, budgeting, saving, managing debt. And then we could start talking about investing. Mm. And sort of the, the, the second thing we wanted to do is we wanted to demystify money. I talked to so many people who say, I don't know anything about money. I'm not very smart. I'm not good at math. You know, you hear a lot of things that get said. Yeah. And my answer is baloney. Yeah. I think anyone can do this if you have the resources, if you have the knowledge. Right. And so this is one of the things we wanted to do. So with those back, with our backgrounds, um, we founded the the BFLP uh, to help educate uh, young adults. And ironically, um, more than young, older people as well. That's great. Uh, th- th- Jennifer, I'm, I'm all over this. I love this. There's a lot going on here. Robin, you, you tell me what brought you to this. Um, it's interesting. My, I'm a numbers person and I started my career in finance and I have two young adult children and I just see how savvy they are, how savvy I always was. And I never had this, I never had training. It just came natural to me. But Mm -hmm. on the other hand, I see people who are highly educated with good jobs who create a disaster with their finances because they don't know what to do with them. They overspend, um, they don't save. So for me, it's sort of a combination of my career um, track and knowing other people in the world who could do better. So um, I like I, I like this space. It's exciting. There's unfortunately there's lots of opportunity, um, and I think people need help. So um, I also like building programs. So this is very exciting to be able to be a part of something that's um, growing and helping people. That's great. And and I I, I want to put a pin in something that Jennifer said uh, because I think in higher ed, one of the things we do because I used to oversee a career services office in in part of my career path, and as a vice president for student affairs, career services landed um under my, under my uh, umbrella um, as part of my portfolio, and we're oftentimes uh, evaluated in terms of our effectiveness on job placement and people finding their way into a job. We're not evaluated on how well they're going to position themselves for the building of, uh, of wealth and being able to manage their, their finances. So, uh, you know, I think it's important there and I think maybe put a pin in it if, if time permits for later about this kind of conflict in terms of what we're actually evaluated on doing, uh, versus what people need. Right. Uh, so let's, let's consider that as we move forward. So, you know, uh, we have this whole piece about the Babson Financial Literacy Project, and and it is a a special and unique program. It's pretty impressive in terms of the scope, and we'll share uh, some links to the program later on in the show. But uh, tell us more about what does make it unique, and what does make it uh, pretty uh, new and interesting in terms of what might also be out there. I'll take that one, Laura. Um- as Jennifer explained, um, she and Kathy um, created this wonderful content about five years ago. Um, and our goal, again, as you pointed out, is to use our workshops to help ed- educate young adults on important money matters so they can be better prepared for their futures. Um, and the way the workshops run is that they're interactive and case-based. And I don't mean that Harvard Business School cases are what we use. They're right. short situations. And I like to point out that they're highly relevant to young people. So we use real examples that young people face so they can understand, relate, and learn. We don't don't talk to people in terms of just preaching or using PowerPoints. We engage them. Um, We have exercises along the way. So um, what I would say is that we explore real-world financial situations. um, And through this, participants build lifelong strategies for budgeting, saving, retirement, and more. In terms of how we actually deliver the material and the workshops, um, we have sort of a two-fold approach. We will often deliver workshops to our delivery partners, um, being colleges, nonprofits, high schools, et cetera, or 
we have a train the trainer program where we will train um, college faculty and staff and sometimes high schools and we can even do companies Mm -hmm. so they can learn from our materials take our materials with them and bring them to their their college their high school their company um and our our materials are very robust so again we we have a twofold approach there we offer an online knowledge platform where students and participants can keep learning after after the workshops are over and that's kind of fun because they can be quizzed along the way and there's tools that they can use to see how much they need to save or how long might save um it take would take them to save for an emergency fund or how you know how their bad habit of buying coffee every day how much that would cost them over 10 years um unfortunately that's a very common problem but you can see you can <laughs> yeah, see the situation absolutely. very clearly i, I um, mean so I'm, just, I'm just i'm gonna interrupt you i know how much i saved when we were in lockdown and we would have i couldn't go to starbucks every day to buy my coffee and yeah. i literally was like why am i doing this to myself and i had this kind of moment of realization of going i should just really make my own coffee but go ahead, Rob. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of the basic structure. No, I think a lot of us can relate to that, I'm sure. Um, so that's sort of the overall structure. Um, mm-hmm. And as you pointed out too, there's an abundance of information out there. There's mm-hmm. online tools, there's online um, materials, but people just aren't using them. I mean, some people might be motivated to learn independently, but we're not solving the problem. So clearly it's not the only answer. Um, so how, how we're differentiated in a nutshell is that we're super comprehensive. So we provide a great depth on the topics mm-hmm. that we cover. And when we actually train and allow others to take our materials, we have a very comprehensive toolkit that coaches can use and take with them so they can do this on their own with all the support they need. Um, so that makes us comprehensive. In terms of our flexibility, again, we can deliver workshops for our partners or our partners can come to our train the trainer program and use our materials as they see fit in their own situation. Um, I would say that we're, we would consider ourselves expert in, I'll say this, Jennifer might not say it because she's the <laughs> author, um, but I would say that we're expert. I mean, Jennifer and her, her colleague wrote the materials and they are expert. They've been doing this for a long, long time and had you know, experiences outside um, being facu- on faculty too. The material is really great and comprehensive and we're not biased. So we mm-hmm. hear, we got a call just recently from a college in California saying they'd really like to use our materials because they've been working with a credit union and they're concerned while they're not misleading, they don't feel like they might be getting the whole picture. So mm-hmm. we feel, and our people we work with feel that we're not in it to use people's names. We're not in it to get new clients. We have, we are transparent and we have no ulterior motive. Our goal is to help make people more money savvy. I, and then, I love that you brought ahead. that up, Robin, because, um, you know, I think that what a lot of the products, and I'm going to use that word intentionally that institutions are getting um, are sometimes off the shelf created by lenders, by other uh, banks, by uh, credit unions, et cetera, et cetera. And they, I'm not going to say they're bad actors. That's not what I'm saying, but it definitely is a, not as comprehensive as what the Babson Liter- uh, Financial Literacy Project is able to provide and has created, but it also it's different if it has the name of the bank on it or the name of the the company on it. You you just don't know how much they're actually getting in terms of the 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 real news, the real information, and the stuff that actually is the the point where students and young adults and adults are having issues. Uh, they they may have to kind of go looking around and kind of saying, well, hold on a second. Why am I feeling like my situation isn't getting any better? Well, maybe because it's, you're not being told what you need to be told. Am I, am I off there? I mean, I think that would be fair. Um, you know, would a bank really talk about all the credit card fees that you might incur no. if you don't pay on time and in full? I can't see why they would want to. I mean, I don't want to be some of the, there's some great materials by some banks. I Mm -hmm. I can really, we've looked through them. They're quite good, but I will sort of put this in another perspective that people who are coming to learn about money are skeptical. And if they're skeptical, um, they're not going to want to attend. So I'm going to sort of leave it at that. Mm. You're you're very diplomatic. I like that, Robin. I'm very good. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> and then just one more point we, before we move on in terms of our format. Our format is, I think I mentioned this, but our format is really unique. We don't, we know very um, well-established organizations that go and lead lovely presentations with PowerPoint, but there's very little participation. The way the materials are structured is there's sort of an overview at the beginning, and then we work through a situation. We might figure out how much it costs if you don't pay pay off your full your credit card in full. We might go through a budget. So it's really hands-on. We use polls. Um, and we ask people to provide input. So it's, it's fun. We make it fun for people. And you've learned a lot, I bet, over the last two years with uh, the change in how we have to deliver information. Um, and I think that probably makes you even better at what you're doing. Uh, so you are here at Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is our once a week look into uh, current and important issues in higher education. I am here with uh, Jennifer and Robin from the Babson Financial Literacy Project uh, based out of Babson College in Wellesley, Massachusetts. But Jennifer Bethel is a member of the finance faculty and Robin Kahn is the executive director of the program. I am Dr. Laura DeVoe. I am your host. And if you would like to participate, please remember you can do so by um, either reacting to the show, give us a little of applause. If someone actually drops a good joke, you can actually laugh as well by using the react buttons. Um, but you can also ask a question. If you uh, have an interest in this topic, just hit the button uh, in the middle of the screen at the very bottom of your device um, that will request for you to come on up on stage and ask a question. And we'd love to have you. Um, you know, I you highlighted, Robin, uh, some partnerships uh, in your materials, and you speak uh, in those materials about all the partnerships that you have, uh, who, and you've discussed uh, that you've done work with high schools uh, and uh, community colleges, as well as other colleges. Uh, who are you working with, and what may differentiate your relationship uh, in different settings? So do you deliver your materials differently in the high school versus college setting? Um, but tell us more about your partnerships and how you develop those. And that's for either of you to answer. Sure, I can take that one on. Um, you're right. We do work with a variety of partners, and all of them share a common belief that young adults are unprepared for their financial futures. So from that perspective, we all can work together to, um, you know, to try our best to make sure people, students for the most part are getting at least a little bit closer to having some knowledge to make better decisions. Um, so as you pointed out, we do, we do in fact spend a lot of time in the college space. Um, we either deliver workshops um, and we do quite a lot of them in California. We, we lead workshops for community colleges through grant funding that we have. And that's a very exciting opportunity because many students in community colleges um, are first generation, low income. So we feel like that's a population that needs this. We all need it, but those, those yeah. folks might need it more than others. Um, so we, we spend time leading workshops in colleges and community colleges, but we also train staff. Um, so we do that in our train the trainer program. Um, as I mentioned, our largest partners include community colleges in that space, um, and we're excited to keep building on that. We, we work in both Massachusetts and in California, and we're looking to expand to other states. Um, we do, in fact, have an upcoming um, Train the Trainer program in, in late May. We call it Boot Camp, two half days where, where colleges can come to learn how to run the program on their own. Um, so that's, we're excited to be working on that. Um, you asked how we work with colleges. So as many of, of you know, it's often difficult to get college students to attend workshops. And we learned that firsthand through some of the colleges that we've worked with. Um, but we're, we're learning a great deal and we're finding that there's, there's ways to, to boost attendance. And one example of that is certificates of accomplishment, mm. um, tying some sources of financial aid to attendance. So there's lots of ways that we're learning and helping, to, helping colleges build best practices along those lines. Um, we also lead workshops for high schools and we typically will do that, but it's a captive audience. So we don't have to spend as much time helping them with marketing. Um, we'll do Everyone college ready to go to the cafeteria. <laughs> well, or they're gonna have to sit in their classroom. We love captive audiences. Those are the best. Um, so we'll work with high school juniors and seniors on college readiness, and it'll be about giving them a financial foundation for heading off to college. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing that I would like to talk about is we do work with nonprofits, 
and we've been we have a long-standing relationships with the Boston Public Library. Mm. But we've decided to employ this network concept where we're trying to build networks of libraries because libraries don't have a lot of funding. So we've created three different library networks about around the Boston area. We have 33 libraries that we're working with and they all share the cost. Oh, um, that's so great. It's, yeah, so that's been fun for us. And so we're looking to bring that same philosophy to colleges and other, other types of programs. So um, I don't know if, Jennifer, there's anything you want to add along those lines? No, I think, I think you covered it. That, that idea of creating consortiums or partnerships with one another it is really something that we, uh, I, I really applaud you for because, uh, first of all, libraries are kind of your unsung local heroes. They're providing a lot of services for people uh, beyond, you know, checking out books. Uh, it is absolutely phenomenal to me how much you actually get out of a local, out of your free library card. Okay. So, uh, that's great. And I love that. And, and higher education and, and, uh, some of the other environments can learn from that in that, you know, if we're able to partner with one another to be able to provide these services, um, and this type of program, it actually not only adds to the value for the institution, it actually to the student who says, oh yeah, we're part of this consortium because we really believe it's important. And all these universities are partnering to make sure that we're delivering this content that changes it in people's minds of, oh, okay. So it's not just us. No, it's, it's all of us. And so it's, it's important. It's really yeah. important. Um, you know, in promoting this show, I called financial literacy, the overlooked competency. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, why do you, you know, either of you feel we see financial literacy in the condition that we do, not only young people with, but with the population writ large, that we're really in this situation that Jennifer, you, it kind of got you going down this road. Um, so why do you think we found ourselves in this, this problematic state? Uh, let me take a stab at, at this. Uh, by the way, I love the, the phrase overlooked competency. The only thing I would add would be one word, the overlooked important competency. <laughs> Very good. Um, because money just plays such an essential role in our well-being. It just doesn't matter whether it's physical, mental, emotional. Um, you know, a lack of money keeps people from going to the doctor. Mm -hmm. um, it creates stress. It lowers productivity in the workplace, lowers productivity in my classroom. You know, yeah. so from a higher ed perspective, you know, when you have kids that are that are worrying about money, they're not in a good space. Right. Um, right. So when we think about educating people about money, you know, I believe it should be a priority. So where does that where does that take place? So if we were talking about not a financial literacy competency, but a, a, a competency in personal hygiene, right. I think most of us would say we learn that at home. Mm -hmm. Right. We learn as children to brush our teeth, take showers from the adults in our life. Um, but at home, the answer at home breaks down when we start talking about financial matters, because many of the adults who understand brushing their teeth and teaching their children um, may not be financially savvy and they can't help those young people. So, uh, and, and by the way, some people may actually be financially savvy, but they can't or won't talk about money. Right. Um, it, yep. It's often emotionally charged. Mm -hmm. It brings up mm -hmm. issues that are simmering beneath the surface. So let's just not talk. Yeah. Um, so then what about learning about money in school? If it's, if it's not at home, then what about schools? Well, only 21 states require personal finance coursework in their schools. By the way, Massachusetts is not one of them. Mm. So, and few colleges have requirements. So the bottom line is that educating people, even in a structured setting, um, it seems to slip through the, through the cracks. Right. Um, the one thing that I would say is, a lot of people will avoid talking about money because it's so emotionally charged. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We all have a history with money and some of that, some of that history is positive and some of it is very, very negative. Right. Um, so one of the things that we have really worked on is messaging around money. 
that, you know, people think of planning or understanding money as being really stressful or difficult. And what we try to convey is not thinking about money is really what's stressful. Planning is what gives us the freedom to reach our goals, you know, like buying a house, having a comfortable retirement. We use the, the example of if you make 50000 a year over the course of your working life, you're going to make something like $2 million. So let's think, what do you want to do with that $2 million? Mm-hmm. Let's, mm-hmm. let's be intentional about this. And suddenly when you see money as a, as a means to get to where you want to go, it doesn't feel quite so stressful. Right. So we work a lot on messaging around money. Um, uh, the other issue is that we find a lot of people don't want to do learn about money because they don't need they they don't even know that they need to. It's kind of one of those just in time things. Mm-hmm. So you don't really worry about how to buy a car until you're ready to buy a car. Right. 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 Then you're ready to actually figure that out. The trick with money is it sneaks up on us. It's when you're standing in line. I'm not going to pick on you personally, but okay, sure. I will. That's fine. (laughs) It's when you're standing in the line at Starbucks buying that coffee. Right. It matters. Right. It's when you're replacing your phone. Mm -hmm. It matters. Right. Mm -hmm. But we don't even realize these things matter. Right. So there's sort of this stealth need that maybe every once in a while we see pop up, but for the most part, we can go along a very long time and not even realize that we have this need to really understand our, our financial. Um, so what we like is this idea of when people are launching and we talk about transitions a lot. But when people launch, that is a great time to grab them and right. say, your life is now going to be different. Whether mm-hmm. it's you're going to college, you're going to technical school, you're right. starting to be financially independent. Let's grab you because it's all so salient to you now. Right. I like how you say launch. I like that idea of something aspirational coming, you're actually moving into a new direction. It has uh, an excitement to it. It has something kind of like, hey, this is different. And I, I really like how you're framing that. And I would have to imagine that when you say to an audience of high school kids that say, if you make a, if you get a job and you're making $50,000 a year, you're going to be making, you know, you're going to be earning $2 million over the course of a lifetime. I bet that perks up their ears. I bet that kind of gets them thinking about, well, well, hold on a second. I could do what? Um, and that, that is um, an amazing piece. I want to, for our listeners, I really want to kind of key in on something you said earlier, Jennifer, about that idea of like, we don't talk about finances. We kind of shut down. And, um, you know, when I've had previous shows with previous guests where we've been talking about retention or around persistence of students and, you know, we know that students often say to, uh, people and when they're taking a step out from their educational pursuits and they'll bring up, uh, finances and finances shut down the conversation because what you don't end up happening is a you know a counselor or a success coach or an advisor saying oh come on Jennifer i know you've got the money like no one says that uh because we don't talk about it and uh you know but we also know um on a on a different side that it's not always finances it's sometimes something that's emotional or some other issue going on in their lives but i think the point is made based on what you just said and what we see is that people use finances as this kind of stop the conversation type of moment. Um, and as such, we're not doing enough to have the conversation about what does it mean to be financially free? What does it mean to be financially secure? What does it mean to be financially empowered? So um, this is all so important, and I'm, I'm really glad we're having this conversation. Uh, we are here with uh, Jennifer Bethel and Robin Kahn from the Babson Financial Literacy Project. Uh, you are here on Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I want to highlight 
highlight a couple of shows that are coming up uh, this week and next week. We do have a special show this Friday, March 11th at 12 noon um, on the topic of serving uh, Romanian, I'm sorry, excuse me, Ukrainian and Russian students. Uh, we will have uh, members of the staff at Northeastern University, Champlain College in Vermont, and the University of Maine, uh, as well as some other institutions, as we're going to talk about broadly, not only about students, but also about faculty and staff. What we're hearing from folks is that we have, uh, we may not have huge numbers of Russian and Ukrainian students on our campuses, but we do have, uh, especially at our research universities, large number of Russian and Ukrainian faculty and staff, and the impact of the Russian invasion on Ukraine has had some real ripple effects on our campuses. And so we're going to be talking a bit about that on a special episode. I hope you're able to join us this Friday at noon. And then next week, a week from today, uh, we have Sissy Petty, Vice President for Student Affairs at George Washington University, as well as members of her residence life staff coming in on the topic of reimagining residence life. Resident assistants have long been the front line for residence life staff um, and residence life programs. And in the fall of 2021, George Washington University in Washington, D.C., launched their new residence life staffing model where RAs were no longer part of the equation. Um, they That gave George Washington a new look, a new way of addressing the needs of residential students. And we are going to be talking uh, about that new program uh, with uh, Dr. Petty and her team. I'm really looking forward to that because it really turns uh, residence life up on its ear. So uh, if you are here, you're in the audience right here on Fire side. Uh, scrolling across your screen right now, uh, you will see the web link for uh, our, our guests program. So you can uh, click there for more information on the Babson Financial Literacy Project. And if you have a question for uh, Robin or Jennifer, please feel free to request to come on up uh, and take the microphone. Um, as we kind of look at uh, some of the other issues that we're dealing with when it comes to financial literacy and financial issues on college campuses for our students, the Department of Education has made some efforts uh, regarding financial literacy. Uh, I remember when I was working at my most previous institution, uh, my director of uh, student financial services, uh, which included financial aid as well as the bursar's office, was talking about, you know, we have to start doing more. And there wasn't a lot of guidance at the time. There were some suggestions. And they really, you know, I hate to say this, this is an office that was already understaffed, that didn't have the resources, was looking for an answer. Um, and, you know, was really kind of muddling their way around, not because they didn't care, but just because there weren't the resources. Um, so what about this kind of, uh, you know, when we're looking at what the the Department of Education is doing, a lot of it is really focused on the FAFSA and college affordability. It's not necessarily talking about financial literacy. Um, what about such a narrow focus that the DOE is putting on this that doesn't serve students, uh, in your opinion? I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, you're right. It's a it is a narrow fo focus, and the, and they're very concerned about a very narrow issue. Um, but clearly, if you look at the amount of student loan debt and the number of defaults, we're not getting from here to there. No. So then the question is: so it, it's limited. Um, it also shows up relatively late in mm -hmm. the game. Yes. Right. You've already made your decision as to where you're going to go to college. Mm -hmm. You've already started taking out student loans. Um, and now I'm going to find out how affordable they are. Mm -hmm. So I think from um, and, and, you know, I'm a college professor. <laughs> so I'm always education pays, you know, get your education. But I also say think. That uh, And there's a lot of research that shows that um, education is strongly related to increased income, a decreased chance of unemployment, mm -hmm. um, job satisfaction. There are a lot of reasons to get right. to, to go to college. Um, but it doesn't mean there's not a value proposition in all this mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there's this is one of the biggest investments um, a young person will make. And. 
you can't make it in isolation from what you're going to have to pay. Right. And there are a lot of affordable options out there, but somehow, and I've got two college age kids somehow in the moment, you wouldn't want to disappoint them. You want them to follow their dreams. You know, all that language we have around choosing Mm -hmm. a college. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, the money piece of it just has to come in somewhere. Right. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it doesn't or not in a meaningful enough way. And so that's why I actually love when we do workshops for juniors in high school. Yep. Because now we're talking about it at a time when it can the actually make is, a difference. <laughs> yeah. You can actually make a difference. And it's yeah. not that, oh, you can't go to a private school but maybe you need to go to a private school where you'll get significant financial aid. Right. Right. right? So I'm not even saying everyone needs to go to a public school. It's just Mm -hmm. bringing that into the mix earlier. I think the other thing is the, the content is quite limited. So they don't really teach you about budgeting. They don't really teach you about other forms of debt. They don't even Mm -hmm. talk to you about a bank. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a side of me that it's like, well, how could someone not know uh, right. the difference between checking, saving, money market accounts, money market funds, um, certificates of deposit? Like, of course, who would ever tell you this stuff? I'm a finance right. professor. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, but those are important to yeah. understand because that's your bread and butter right. in right. terms of what a lot of people use, especially early on. So anyway, yeah. Look, long answer to your question. I apologize. No, but I love that. I love that answer because I think we are so narrow and timing absolutely matters. Robin, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I did sort of from a different angle, but it's always astounded me that there's been such a great focus on financial aid. It's very important, but I've been to conferences before in the financial literacy world. I've seen nonprofits. They lead with how to fill out the FAFSA form. Mm-hmm. To me, they should be leading with, what do you think you want your career to be? What will your income trajectory look like? And then decide what is the right college choice to make before you go and invest. And financial so aid might be, might be the right decision for so many people, but it doesn't have to be to the level that a lot of people are taking out financial aid. And in some cases, it's not the right answer to either A, go to a college, maybe starting with community college or going to technical college. I just wish as a nation we would be able to help people think about some of these issues before they actually jump onto financial aid. And again, that's about financial literacy, knowing what your career and your income is going to be, how you're going to spend your money. So I think that's important. Absolutely. I think it, it, it's so important. We do have a question from the audience. Doug, welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I'm here with Robin and Jennifer. What's your question? Hi. Uh, thanks, everyone. So my question has to do with, given the pervasive need for financial literacy among younger folks, have you all uh, heard of or participated in discussions either with institutions or accrediting organizations about making financial literacy part of gen ed curriculum, Mm. those kinds of structures? Interesting question. Accreditation is always, I I love that you're bringing accreditation. Accreditation, I think, is an answer to to a lot of these problems that we're dealing with. Uh, Robin and Jennifer, what are your thoughts on that? I'm going to ask Jennifer if she has any insights. Yeah. Um, Doug, that is a great question. I agree with Laura that, you know, maybe that is a place to start. So um, I think, I don't, I don't know whether it's two, three or five years ago, the Southern Schools Accreditation Agency, I'm going to totally botch this, SASCOC or yeah, something I, like that. Something like that, yes. Something like that. <laughs> it's always, um, a, it's, it's an alphabet soup, but go ahead. <laughs> exactly. With, with, with not enough somethings, vowels, consonants, I don't know. Um, included financial literacy education. Mm. I don't know to what extent it's really had an effect. One of the mm. issues that we find when we work with colleges and is that who sponsors the program matters. Mm. So we see it come out of financial aid. We see it come out of student affairs. We see it come out of um, what I would call basic needs offices. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It could come out of TRIO. It could come out of um, Title V grants. It, so there's a lot of places where it can live. And the question is, is do you kind of focus down on your little group, mm-hmm. you know, your financial aid recipients or your basic needs recipients? Or is there an APB? How do you bring it to the campus? Um, and I think when you talk about accreditation, you're starting to make it someone's problem that's up the food chain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fan of unfunded mandates, but I want my unfunded mandate to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I think it's interesting, Doug, I would like to throw this back to you. What made you yeah. kind of consider that, that question about uh, it being related uh, potentially uh, to uh, accreditation and how that might enhance the success of it? Oh, sure. Well, so I'm thinking about the institution I work at where there is a personal finance course, three credit Mm -hmm. course, and students are able to take it. However, it can only fulfill a free elective and its audience is fairly limited in that way, Mm -hmm. but also because students never seem to really hear about it. Um, I mean, I don't know the enrollment numbers off the top of my head, but it probably has a hard time either getting students or making its value proposition, you know, better known in the, Mm -hmm. in the university community. Whereas if it were, I mean, not even as a, as its own category, but even if it were enfolded under quantitative skills, which you know, every gen ed or core curriculum has has some element of that. If it were one of the things that could fulfill mm-hmm. the requirement, mm-hmm. that could help, A, get more students exposed to it, but then also enable the institution to say, this matters. This is a way to, you know, for us to deliver something to fulfill our mission and to help you be that better student that we all want you to be so that, you know, if it were that important, why wouldn't it be right, part of, say, right. you know, gen ed core? Yeah, we I, agree I with absolutely, you. Yeah, yeah, we agree with you. <laughs> Apparently you've won over the panel. But I think yeah. that there's also, you know, I think something Jennifer brought up, which I don't want to let this kind of go without commentary, is that where any of these opportunities sit in the university or college setting uh, aligns with some level of political capital. So if it is actually <laughs> sitting with the provost and the provost says, we are going to make this to be part of our curriculum. We believe in this. We are going to make this happen. Da, 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 da. We are going to, com- we are going to uh, make sure that it is actually required in some way uh, that students have to take part in this because we believe in it uh, so much there's going to be a different amount of political capital than, and this is coming from a former vice president for student affairs saying we're offering a one credit, not we're we're offering a one credit uh, financial literacy certificate program. And we are working with our financial aid office on this and it's completely elective and we're really hoping you take it and people, it's not going to have the same resonance to it. And I hate to say that out loud, but that's the way it is. Okay. You also have to know your institution, your institution's culture, who has political capital, where it actually sits. Um, And I do want to call attention to something that both Robin and Jennifer brought up is about timing is everything. When we have these conversations with students, which many institutions do as students are like you know, on their way out the door rather than on their way considering which door to open, uh, we really are are handcuffing ourselves in terms of the uh, the actual uh, impact that we have. Um, Doug, thank you for your question. It was really good. And I appreciate you being here and being on the stage and being part of the show. Um, you know, I uh, also want to draw folks' attention. It was easy for Doug to get on up here and ask a question. So if you do have a question, please uh, request to come on up and we're happy to have you over the course of our last few minutes of the show. Um, I want to uh, see, uh, you know, Robin, do you have any follow-up on that? Uh, I know that Jennifer answered the question, but anything that's ruminating in your brain right now as far as Doug's question or where we're at right now? 
No, um, I, I think I think we can move on. I mean, okay. again, it would be a, a dream for us to have this required. We might not even exist if it was required in college, <laughs> right? right. Um, but what we're trying to do is to go after programs that have a financial element to them. So like Jennifer said, there's things like TRIO programs and other financial mm-hmm. aid programs that we believe we can align ourselves with because there's education along the way and the populations often need this information. So that's how we, we choose to do it. But you're being you know, very strategic. Programs, yep. exactly, exactly. Which is great. And it, it is absolutely needed. And I appreciate that. Um, I, you know, as a, as a question here, you know, I think it is related uh, to this is how can campuses make financial literacy a priority? Um, and how do they know what, uh, they are doing is actually working, in your opinion. You must have had Doug ask that question because it was a, it's a great segue right into that. It question. does. It does. Yeah. I wish I could say that. So thank you, Doug, Doug. I'm going to send you a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, as he pointed out, and as we know, some colleges do um, offer personal finance classes, but even if they do, the majority of students won't take that class. And as Jennifer pointed out too, there's only 21 states that require some sort of education. So most students get to college or are left to their own devices. Um, they can, was that funny? Yeah. Well, I think he was <laughs> laughing at my Dunkin' Donuts gift card. He finally figured oh. it out. <laughs> That's all right. We're all good. That's really cute. That's cute. Um, so again, there's online resources, but we don't know students are going to use them. So right. um, we believe that students learn best when they're engaging in situations and workshops with others where they can see some of this come to life in front of them, um, whether it's understanding how to budget in college, whether it's how to figuring out how to build your credit score, or even knowing what a credit score is, mm-hmm. or understanding the benefits of compound interest, people, we think, learn better in community. Um, so we encourage colleges to, you know, use programs like ours to form their own. I mean, we've seen some schools have peer counselors. I think that's a very lofty goal. I think peers can be very relatable and make, make students feel very comfortable. Um, but there needs to be a really strong curriculum there. Um, so in terms of how schools would, would know if this works, um, you know, again, we, we are very big proponents of measurement and we use satisfaction studies through a QR code in all of our workshops. We also measure knowledge gain. So those types of things can see, um, you know, is it working? Um, we love to ask the question, how likely are you to, pl- to apply what you learned? And even though that's not going to, that's not like a secret, the secret sauce in terms of having the best data, if you get a really high number, you're, you know that people learn something and they're going right. to use it. And in fact, when right. we do these questions, we get about 94% um, number along those lines. And even measuring knowledge. So we, we measure knowledge from the beginning of the workshop to the end, because that's all the data we can use because it's the students of our partners, it's the participants of libraries, et cetera. Um, but you know, a college, if they're running their own program, they could figure out a way perhaps to track it over time, you know, yeah. tying it to, to a certificate. If people are students are going to sign up for a number of workshops and take them, and maybe the college has a deal where they can track them over time to see what their behavior looks like and ask them questions. Um, so those are some measurements. And I guess finally, you know, some of the things that we think about um, when we run workshops is um, if if students continue to come to the workshops, that's a good sign. Right. You know, there's stickiness. Right. Um, well, and also if their friends start to say, oh, my friend came to this, they said I should go. You know, I'm like, okay, great. Because if, if you know, proof is in the pudding. When your friend tells exactly. you to go, that, that gives you some more in, incentive to go. Certifications another another example. You know, again, we offer certificates of accomplishment. I'm sorry, of completion, not accomplishment, because we are not able to testify as to their knowledge. But there's a way to do that through our online online platform if schools would choose to do that. Um, and then obviously, the real dream is over time, student loan defaults um, mm. would go down because perhaps students would know how to manage their money. There's lots of ways to measure it. I mean, that's a really long term goal, but there's ways in the short term. Um, to measure success too. Absolutely. Jennifer, do you have anything to follow up on that? Um, just one thing, and and this is sort of my long-term uh, secret plan, is I would love to see lenders, and this doesn't work for the federal loans, yeah. but private lenders 
link the interest rate on credit cards or student loans to sort of accredited financial literacy programs. I would, I suspect they would find that there is a difference in the credit risk Mm. of people who have and haven't. Like I say, I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but that would be the holy grail, so to speak. That's a great idea. Have you talked to any, is this the first time you've talked about this publicly? Tell me, Jennifer, I want to be, am I cutting, are we doing cutting edge stuff or have you said She told before? me before. She told me okay. before. Yeah. <laughs> and my dog probably knows. Your dog well. knows. Okay. <laughs> we can make your dog the mascot of this, but, but I, I love this idea because the, it is all linked, right? Is that knowledge, when people know about you know, whether it be nutrition, whether it be finance, whether it be what, whatever it is, you make better decisions, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And that idea of educating anybody from the front end rather than, you know, we talk about this a lot when it comes to, to our health, right? And that if you actually eat better, if you uh, exercise, if you even just going for a walk every day, these are things that help you live a better lifestyle. It's a lot cheaper to belong to a gym or go for a walk every day than it is to be on medication and have to have, uh, you know, medical oversight of your life, right? And it is the same thing with finance. If we actually are are educating folks, people are using good practice. And then when it comes down to it, you're not defaulting on your loans. You're actually able to save more money. You're actually live a better quality of life. But, you know, these are all things that are absolutely connected. And I, I think that that's uh, a noble and exciting goal. Okay. Um, I think where I, I am literally in this mindset of late, um, and some of it is related to what we've all experienced in the last two years, is that for a society, um, and I'm, I'm looking at the United States right now, although this is, does impact some of us in the global community as well, but I'm going to really look at, at my brethren here in the States, is that we love a good quick fix. We want a pill. We want a, a shake. We want something that, you know, if I go to, you know, uh, if I, if I make my, my shake every day, I drink my shake, all of a sudden I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to be wealthier and I'm going to be wise. And that's not how the world works. Um, it does mean we have to do things, uh, and actually make change of our own, uh, actions and be more informed about those actions. And so what you're doing is actually setting up a generation for success. And so I want to thank you for all of that. And I, I think this is an amazing thing. So as we're kind of closing out today, uh, Robin, why don't you tell folks how they can connect with the Babson Financial Literacy Project? What do you have coming up? I am going to be sharing all of the links you've provided me in my Substack. And if you are not a subscriber to the Substack, I'm going to put my information up in the uh, in the uh, fortune cookie scroll uh, as you're talking. So tell us more about how people can connect with with the uh, project. Sure. Thanks, Laura. Um, hopefully, Laura will be sharing our Instagram account. Um, we have a, a great Instagram um, account, and we provide not only events, but we provide tips. So we like to help educate um, people who follow us. We'll give them tips about, um, actually, we tips about a lot of different things, saving for retirement. We'll, we'll actually have quizzes. Um, we'll share news. So that would be a great way to connect with us. Um, in terms of emailing us, you can please feel free to email me at rcon, K-A-H-N, at babson.edu, and I'd be happy to um, follow up if you have questions. Um, The most notable um, event coming up is the one that I mentioned earlier on May 26th and June 2nd in the afternoon, Eastern Time, 1 to 4 p.m. We are hosting a Train the Trainer program, which is boot camp, where we're going to help college faculty and staff and high schools as well learn how to use our materials. We will be sharing and running through two different workshops so you can experience yourself. Um, Jennifer will be providing tips on facilitation and I'll be providing tips on how to market and um, we'll show you our online knowledge platform. So we hope you can join us. Um, And I think that um, Laura will be sending you information on that as well. Um, I know we're getting 
getting up to the end of our time. So that would be a good place to start. Great. And uh, so I put up in my scroll how you can connect with me. If you subscribe to my Substack, you will be able to get that information all into your mailbox this week. Um, please make sure that you are connecting with the Babson Financial Literacy Project through their Instagram account, which is the uh, address is Babson Financial Literacy Proj. P-R-O-J. Uh, so it's Babson, B-A-B-S-O-N financial, which I'm not going to spell that, but you know how to spell it, financial <laughs> literacy proj. And that is where you can find them. And we will have that up in my, uh, in my Instagram, I'm sorry, in my Substack this week. I want to thank Jennifer. I want to thank Robin. I want to thank all of you for being here today. And I hope you're all able to join me on Friday at 12 noon as we have a special show on how to serve our Russian and Ukrainian uh, community members on our campuses. Have a great uh, few days, everybody. Have a good one. And thank you, Robin and Jennifer, for being here. You're the best. Have a good one. Thank you so much. We enjoyed it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one. Bye-bye.